0: Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 10.45 a.m. and 5 p.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Well, you glad to be here this morning? Yeah. Um, just a, a thought we had... Uh, last week we had little uh, booklets that we handed out to you. It actually was uh, the book of Acts along with uh, some space in there for notes. That'll be our notes for this series. Um, this week we ran out for service. We had some extras. We'll have more next week. So if you don't have those, we are sorry. There's a set of notes uh, that was added uh, to the uh, handouts that you guys got on the way in. You can use those and fill them in, but we'll have more Uh, of those little Bibles. It's just uh, a Bible, the book of Acts, along with some notes. And our intention is uh, that you would bring that along with your Bible. Uh, We don't feel like that's uh, too much to carry. Uh, We would love to have that because we will be going into uh, some other passages at times. But uh, we would love for you to be able to have at the very end, not only uh, the book of Acts along with uh, your notes in there, like a little commentary that's uh, written in your hand, Uh, by the end, but our intention is that you would learn along the way some skills that you use in the rest of the Bible, the rest of the the time that you are reading Scripture on your own. We're praying that you'll just begin to see the Scripture pop out, that there'll be uh, questions that come naturally to your mind that you will watch as uh, Scripture answers, Uh, and that in your own devotional life uh, that this will be a blessing. Taking notes this way, we're praying, would carry on into Uh, other benefits in the future. And so uh, our goal is not just to give you information on a Sunday morning, but we're trying to find different ways that the scriptures will come alive to you in practical ways in your day-to-day life. We know that some of you are here for a season. We're praying that uh, you'll grow into seeing God's blessing all the rest of your lifetime. So uh, I pray that you get one of those, that you bring them each week. If you uh, left yours someplace in there, whichever. When, when you get the next one, put your name, okay, at the top of that, and we'll make sure we can find you with that information. Put your name, your address, and, and just credit card information in there for us, and uh, we'll make sure it goes to the appropriate people. Um, I've been thinking a little bit about, uh, for whatever reason, uh, my mind goes into random places at times, but locomotives during the course of this last week. And I was thinking about all of the power uh, that is behind a locomotive. But uh, I was remembering when I was a kid going to a park in Roseburg, And uh, that area has been impacted by steam donkeys because of the logging industry, and so they would be able to do logging with this machinery. And they had in a park in downtown Roseburg an old uh, engine that was just sitting there and and being, you know, in a little redneck neighborhood down there. This was before the time that they were really worried about what you would do. They had this great big steam engine, and it was just in the middle of the park, and as kids, you could just go play on it climb to the top of it, front and back, wherever you wanted, pull the levers. Uh, It had just kind of run out of steam, literally, at that location, and they left it. And so here it is in the middle of this park. And I can remember imagining what would it be like to have that thing full of power, just pull the lever and ride. How awesome would that be? You can actually see some of these uh, steam engines at um, um, the antique Powerland area that's just up here north. They have something called the the Great Oregon Steam Up, and you can go and watch this. And the thing that is magnificent is if you just go and see these machines sitting there, uh, they're cold, they're lifeless, it doesn't seem as impressive. In fact, if, uh, if you were to ask the average kid even, would they rather go look at a bunch of steam engines sitting there uh, or muscle cars? They're going to pick muscle cars every time until there's a fire inside those. Once the fire gets going and the steam gets built up and there's something the transfer of heat alone is just impressive. But you begin to see this engine come to life and they'll pull you around uh, behind some of these tractors on a little hayride that they have there. You begin to see these different machines uh, on display with all of the power and all the torque that they have. And it is insane uh, how productive something that comes to life uh, like that can be. And how is it coming to life? It comes to life because all of a sudden it goes from cold to literally having a fire within. When we get to this part in the book of Acts, and and this morning I'm going to just be honest with you, there's a little bit more broccoli than cake, okay? We're going to serve cake at the end of the message. There's a little bit more broccoli this morning in this meal because we're setting the table for when the life comes. The Spirit of God moving into the church and advancing and there are some significant things that happen. But this, uh, this moment was critical. What is told to the disciples and how they prepared themselves launch into the rest of the book. So let's take a look at that. Um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1. My uh, uh, motators are a little messed up this morning, so we're going to read this sitting down. Is that okay with you guys? Normally we stand, but I want you to pay attention. We have a a few extra verses to read this morning. So read this uh, and hear what God felt was important for you to understand before the Spirit of God came. It says in verse four, and while staying with them, Jesus, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John baptized with water But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Well, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the time or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, he'll come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. Away. Now, Peter is with the men. They begin to read scriptures. They begin to pray, and he tells them, We need to replace Judas. Jump down with me to verse 20. It says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men. to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Do you believe that happened? It did. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes to the truth of this passage, that uh, you would help us to understand it, to be Impressed, captivated with these men, what it was that you did, what you instructed them to do, and what it was that they did as a result to prepare for the coming of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would help us to see uh, that this isn't just filler, but these are important moments that prepared them uh, to receive and respond to your Spirit. It, it launched the Church Age. I pray also that you'd help us to see what it is you would have us apply in our lives today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce, when he was writing about the book of Acts, he makes an interesting observation. He says, Acts is similar to the Old Testament book of Joshua in that it's a bridge book. It's a bridge between the Gospels which describe the life and ministry of Jesus Christ and the epistles which unfold the life and nature of the church. Just as in the Old Testament, The book of Joshua bridges the period between the time of preparation in the wilderness and the time of settling down in the land. Now, in the book of Joshua, the people had been wandering around in the desert. And Joshua gets them across uh, by the hand of God, gets them across the Jordan, and they're waiting. And they wait there for a short period of time. Until God says, now it's time to move. And also in that moment, God begins to do business with them and get their hearts ready. As soon as they stopped moving, they began to think about what was next and things in them began to shift. That's what we're seeing in the book of Acts as well. Boyce continued, he said, that we are people of action. So we expect action immediately. The Holy Spirit should come right now. The gospel should be preached right away. But instead, we find delay. Sometimes we have periods like this in our lives, and they make it tough going for us. These are often the hardest periods for us to live through. We want to do something. What's even more significant, we want God to do something. When God does not do anything, we think things have gone wrong. Things should be happening if I'm really a Christian. They should, if I'm really on track with God, they should be moving. But that is not necessarily the case. It was a period, a time of preparation. This is what we have a small few moments where he has them get their house in order to prepare for what was next. Now, Luke is writing to Theophilus. And throughout this, we're going to see that he's creating a hunger for truth. We're not going to be able to unpack all of the questions that come out of the text and be able to go through line by line. Uh, We're going to be covering a large section today, and then we're just going to be hitting small narrative pieces to be able to watch as uh, the Spirit of God fills up his people and moves the church forward. Um, But we won't be able to unpack all those. What I do hope is that there is a growing hunger in you to see what it is has happened. But there is something I would ask you to consider each step along the way. Because this is a transitional book, there are some amazing things that happen and there are many things that remain until today. But there are are also some transitional things. And so we should be asking, is this, the thing that we are reading about, is this for today or is it temporary? Is it temporary or for our time? So with that said, Let's look at the first scene that we read about here in Acts chapter 1. First scene. In verse 6 it says, So when they had come together. Uh, now where were they? They were on the Mount of Olives. We know from the end of the book of Luke, that's where he leaves off with them. And in verse 12, uh, here it says, And they returned from Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. That's an important thing. And They're at the Mount of Olives. They've gone up there with Jesus. He has for 40 days been teaching them. Uh, Peter says a few uh, verses later that there's about 120 that were gathered up at this uh, location. Uh, And so here are all of these people that are talking with Jesus, meeting with Jesus, and hearing from Jesus at the Mount of Olives. And now they receive a mission from him. It's 40 days later and he says, this is what, verse 8, I want you to be about. But there's a question that they have. So they came together. They're at the Mount of Olives, and they asked him, "Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel?" It's an important question. It's evident that he's taken them to this place, and there is something in him that speaks of fulfillment. There's something in Jesus that is causing them to think, "Okay, man, we're getting close to something big here." And so they ask him, "Is it this time?" Now they're asking based on verse 3. It says he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So for 40 days, Jesus has been walking with them talking about the kingdom of God. Now before you jump ahead and say, "Well, well, You know, they just got the kingdom of God wrong. And there are some theological traditions that say that, that, you know, that either it's never going to happen or they just it's a spiritual thing. Jesus has been talking to them about the kingdom of God for 40 days. Now, remember, they're talking to a risen Savior. So his death, burial and resurrection came as a shock to them. And they're there after his resurrection saying continually to themselves, you know, he was talking about this for a long time. Do you think that they were listening now with different ears? They're listening. It doesn't take the Spirit of God for them to get slapped awake, okay? They saw this, and they're saying, he was talking about this. Not only that, but there is a moment in uh, Luke chapter 24 where he meets two men on the road to Emmaus, and they're just walking along with their heads down, dejected. They're overwhelmed because they think the Messiah is dead. Jesus is walking right with them. And they said, we thought that maybe he was the one. And he walks alongside them and he begins to unfold all of the Old Testament scriptures that spoke of him. And they said, did not our hearts burn within us while he was sharing these things with us on the road? So if he does that for two unknown disciples, what's he doing for the known disciples for 40 days? As he's going through the scriptures saying, this is how I'm going to fulfill it. And he's talking continually about the kingdom of God. They're asking a question based on recent conversations, having their ears tuned differently because of the resurrection. But also, they're asking it based on the location. They can sense Christ is about fulfillment, and they're on the Mount of Olives. In Ezekiel eleven twenty-three, 23, uh, there's uh, an uh, important moment in the book of Ezekiel Uh, As you're going through that book, at the first 10 chapters, you see that God has told them that destruction is coming. Uh, The Babylonian and Assyrian captivity is about to happen to the north and the south. They are going to be taken away. And in preparation for that, the glory of God, it says, actually lifted up from the Holy of Holies. It goes to the front of the temple and it pauses Then it goes to the edge of town It pauses, it goes outside to the Mount of Olives, and it lifts up, and it leaves. That happens in Ezekiel chapter 11. Listen to some verses that happened right before the glory left Israel this first time. It says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, though I remove Israel um, off to among the nations, and though I scatter them among the countries... Yet I will be a sanctuary to them for a while in the countries where they have gone. He says they're going to get scattered. Verse 19, he's going to bring them back. And then I will give them one heart, a new spirit. And I will put uh, within them, I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh. And I will give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they will be my people and I will be their God. He, in essence, is unfolding what it's going to be to follow during the time of the gospel. He starts telling them, I'm going to change the way that they even are on the inside so that they want me to be their God and I am their God. And then he says the glory departs. There's an anticipation that it would return in the same way. In Zechariah 14.4, it's talking about the coming of the Lord when he makes all things right, removes sin, puts everything the way that it is supposed to be. And it says when he arrives in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in the middle from east to west by a large valley, so that half the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. Now imagine, he's been talking about the kingdom of God. He's been unfolding these passages. They're standing on the Mount of Olives. It's evident something's about to happen. And I bet they're looking around. Peter's looking in the ground for a crack, okay? When he hits, man, it's going to pop open and there's going to be this transformation that happens on the earth. They're standing on the Mount of Olives and, and there's all this anticipation. They were not just a bunch of uneducated men. They've been listening to Jesus. And he said, the kingdom of God is real. Hang on to that. Jesus looks at them. He hears their question. And he says, he doesn't correct them. He doesn't say, no, man, you silly people. Don't you know that that was all just spiritualized? No, he says, it's not for you to know the time or the season that the father has fixed by his authority. What is for you? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus' answer to them in verse 8 is, I'm giving you a new power, new purpose, and a new place to work it out. You're not just going to stay home. You will be my witnesses. That's a good word to Circle or underlined there, that Greek word is literally the word that we get martyr from. You will be my martyrs. That word witness or martyr did not have the same weight then that it does today. When we see how it was that they proclaimed Jesus to all the world, it hits us. We see that they were willing to give their lives, that they were willing to be punished, that they were willing to be beaten. And Christians throughout the centuries have been willing to do the same, to put Christ on display, to show his love and the gospel to a world that is broken. But also he says you'll do it to the end of the earth. There's all of this money and effort and organization that it requires in order to get it to unreached people. There's a lot of work and a lot of effort coming from fishermen. Fishermen. Who up until that time had only lived just in that area. Even walking with Jesus, they never made it more than 200 miles from where Jesus was born. They're just in a little tiny area about the distance from uh, Portland to Roseburg. They're walking this small area. And he says, man, you're going to go expand that, multiply beyond what you can imagine. It's going farther than you could ever imagine. So how? He says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is going to fill you up and it's going to make it possible for you to not only follow me right straight to death, but you're going to be the ones that will take it to the ends of the earth. And it will be evident from the way the work gets done that it was me working through you and not you alone. I can remember uh, growing up going to a a thing called the Family Forestry Expo and there was a couple of guys there with a whipsaw. I think, do we have those pictures this time? Yeah, look at these guys here. There's a whipsaw. There's something about a whipsaw, though, that you got to understand. It's really exciting at the beginning, and those teeth can cut through a lot as they're sawing through that. You'll see these guys, and they'll they'll, they'll cut off. Um, round after round after round that they can do, or they just have a race to get through one. But you have two guys working in concert. If they're out of sync, that saw will bend. It'll create a problem uh, getting through that. But you have all of this energy. And man, it's kind of exciting to see two guys. But one thing that you'll see, if they have multiple races, or if they have to do multiple logs, you will watch them put that on display. And at first, man, they're just going. And it looks amazing. But pretty soon, they're tired. They're sweating. And it's all of their energy. And it's down dramatically. But then they also have the power saw cutting one. And you can see, look at this guy. He's smiling. All right. All he's doing is hanging on to that wicked engine right there. I think one of these was alcohol burning, uh, where actually all, you can hear this thing wind up. You've got to have headphones in the audience to be able to watch this thing. And it's buzzing. He's just that quick ripping through. They're going back and forth through these logs. Look at all the chips coming off of that. The other guys were sawing as fast as they could. This one, there's an energy there that is just absolutely impossible for a guy to generate on his own. Sponsored by steel. <laughs> there's a different energy. There is a different power. The only way that he's tired, the question for the two guys with the whipsaw is how long can I last? The question with this last guy with the chips flying everywhere is, man, is this going to get away from me? The Spirit of God fills up and does so much more than we can do. There is a power, is what God is describing, that is not your own, that is not natural, that's not of you, that will energize the work of the church. The conclusion that Jesus would have them come to is that until Jesus returns, which is his expectation, they were to stay on mission. Right here at home, then in the edges of their city, then in the edges of their region, the edges of their nation, and finally to the far remote places on the earth. They were to go and always carry the gospel. Uh, Just a side note for those that are kind of still working through the idea that the kingdom of God will still come. The Spirit of God was promised, verses uh, 5 and 8 there. Uh, Jesus said he would be baptizing them in the Holy Spirit. The power of the Spirit would enable them to witness, 1-8 says... Also, in, in uh, verse 11, it says that Jesus would return in the same way that he left. And then in 1-7, it says that uh, the Father has fixed these times of the restoring of kingdom to Israel. He's fixed this in, in uh, his own heart. His own authority is the one that's fixed it. In Acts chapter 2 and 3, the Holy Spirit comes. The baptism of the Holy Spirit occurs. The Holy Spirit enables them to witness in Peter's message, in chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, he says, Jesus will come again. And in three twenty and 21, he says, the Father will send Jesus, the Messiah, for the restoration of all things. So before he has the Spirit, they see these things. And then now after he has the Spirit, and the Spirit of God is giving him clarity on what to say, he still says, Jesus is coming again. Do you know that Jesus is coming again? That's what Scripture tells us. we got to anticipate that, folks. That's one of the things that we believe. It is supernatural. It is a proof of God. He will return. But the other thing that is highlighted here is that in order to succeed on this mission, they will need to be filled with a power that's greater than their own. That's that first scene. But there's a second scene that we're in, and this one creates some questions in our minds. Once again, is this something that we are to do today? Was this temporary or is it for our time comes up? Uh, Chuck Swindoll, writing about just this little section, says um, the book of Acts is a book of transitions and the first transition Luke describes is without question the most dramatic the world has ever known. Acts 1, 12 through 26 paints a curious picture of the fellowship of believers before the church was launched, an almost forgotten image of the cowering congregation prior to the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Luke offers a timid, fearful, almost pathetic rendering of uncertain believers groping for direction just days before the Holy Spirit took over. And then the Acts 2, 1 through 4 events happen and change everything, literally everything, they go from drawing lots to discern God's will to speaking forth the mighty deeds of God. From having trouble hearing God's word to unhesitatingly speaking it with power. It says that they were all together in Jerusalem, verse 12. And then it says, with one accord, they were devoting themselves to prayer and reading the scriptures. It led them, as a result of that study, to add a leader. Uh, Leadership has always been important to God, and it's always been important in the Scriptures. And having qualified leaders in particular was of value. If we go back to that picture of a locomotive, uh, you have a, a great big engine that's out in front, and it can pull hundreds and hundreds of cars. They'll go up thousands of miles, myriads of mountains that they'll go over, all of this power, able to pull and move and do incredible things. But you want to know the thing that actually causes that engine to be useless? If the train gets off track. If it gets off of the tracks, then all of that power, all of that potential is just sitting in one spot, spinning its wheels, Leadership throughout Scripture, that God has called leaders to make sure that the tracks were laid down so that his work and his, part, his things would uh, be evident. All of the power is of God, but he calls leaders to lay down tracks and keep things straight. And so here, knowing that the Spirit of God is about to come, they say, we, we need to make sure we have good leaders. So how did they discover them? It says that it needed to be somebody who accompanied us the entire time. Uh, Verse 21, one of the men who's accompanied us all the times that the Lord Jesus went in and out, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up. He needs to be somebody who was discipled along with us. All the time he gives the duration. It can't just be for a couple of weeks. It can't just be that he's been around us since we saw him rise from the grave. We want him all, all the way from the very beginning. Somebody who's witnessed all of the discussions and the battles. And then he says that we want him to be a witness of the resurrection. Somebody who is willing to share the truth with other people. Discipleship, duration, a sense of duty. But then an intriguing thing happens. They pray and the Lord affirms him. Now this is the pun intended. This is where it gets dicey. All right. They cast lots to discover who should be there. Now, I don't know if you've ever taken time to just try and figure out what is actually going on in Scripture. Why would they cast lots? It seems like they're taking a chance here. But 70 times in the Old Testament, lots come up. In fact, God says before the Spirit of God had moved in, He would have them pray. They would work it down to where there were two good options. And then they would say, Lord, we're we're putting those options that they would have a a white stone and a dark stone. Or they would have some uh, way to, to cast a lot Uh, But they would reach into a bag quite often and they would pull up one of those. They would say this is uh, the white stone represents this decision. The black stone represents this uh, decision. They would reach in and they would say this is the decision that the Lord has made 70 times. In fact, the book of Proverbs has a proverb about it. It says that the lot falls into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. But this, right now, in this transitional moment, you see that they did not know what to do and they didn't have anything inside them impelling them to the truth. And so they have to cast lots. This is the last time we see casting lots in the New Testament era. They no longer will need that in the future. Why? Because the Spirit of God moves in and helps impel His people to right decisions. James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let's just pray, and the Spirit of God will give you wisdom from above. This was a shocking thing to an Old Testament believer. They could not know for sure, but now the Spirit of God working through the Word of God will guide the child of God. Amen? This is the last time that we see it. There's two notes I would have you understand. First of all, this takes care of apostolic succession, where some people say, I'm in the line of apostles all the way back. Um, it, they had to have been there with Jesus at that time. A small group of people could qualify. Once the apostles died out, we're fully in the church age where God says, I'll just work through whoever is there. But this was a unique group of leaders. It ended with that generation. And this is the last time that lots are used. What should we draw from this? This was important enough for God to put it in Scripture, and I believe it is because God still calls qualified leaders today. He still expects us to make sure that we would have people there to, to keep the train on the rails. That's uh, His desire. Now, like I said before, this is a, a little bit more uh, broccoli and a little less cake this morning. But here's one thing that struck me as I was studying this it is possible that we could see how hard that they were working and and how tough it was for them before the Spirit of God came to guide them. And we would then see in the next unfolding chapters how amazing it is to have the Spirit of God fill up believers and transform the way they think and move and uh, respond. They repent and they yield and they run to the Lord in significant ways. It's possible to see all that transition and never taste it for yourself. There was a man, Chief uh, Crowfoot, up in Canada. When the Canadian Pacific Railroad was coming through, they were having problems with the tribes, and they were fighting and warring. And so they asked this man, would he help him with their tribe to be able to settle a peace agreement so that they could have the railway go through that part of the land. And he was able to broker a peace deal as long as they would be able to feed them and take care of them, and it it was a pretty unique uh, agreement that had happened. As a result of that, the Canadian Pacific Railroad gave him a golden ticket anywhere he wanted to go, across all of Canada, with any goods that he wanted to carry for the rest of his life, he could get on the train and go wherever he wanted to go. People say that uh, he ended up walking for miles. He carried all of his goods with him. And to their knowledge, all the way from the time that he brokered the deal until the time of his death, he never set foot on the train or took advantage of it. He had a golden ticket. You can see right here that was good for the rest of his life and yet never took advantage of it. He could have gone anywhere, traveled with any amount of luggage, taken people along with him, all for free. Folks, we can learn a ton of things in Scripture, but is it possible that that you could be sitting here today, hearing about these things, studying theological truth, packing your bag, but never actually experience what God has provided for you? That would be tragic. All the way through this book and through our study, it's my prayer that you would begin to have a craving. What would it be like to actually have the Spirit of God transform you? What would it be like to see a church filled with that? I believe that we're seeing that even in our day. We're seeing God at work in His people, transforming them, bringing them to repentance, changing the way that they think, changing the difference that they make in a world around them that's broken. Amen? We want you to make sure that uh, as you study these things, you're also participating in that work. Let's pray. Father, we uh, come to you now and we ask that you would help us as we study these things to be greatly impacted by uh, the questions that come to our mind. What, What is it? What would it have been like to see Jesus lift up from the Mount of Olives? To see God give instructions and leave in that manner? What a supernatural thing. But also, Father, what would it be like to hear those words for the very first time, knowing that those are the words that are going to get repeated generation after generation after generation. We are called to be witnesses to the uttermost parts of the earth. Father, help us as we hear these amazing things not to forget what it is that you've asked us to do. You've asked us to yield and grow. We have the Spirit now. We have access to all the things that enlivened the church Father, we pray that you would help us to live using those things, participating in those things you have set aside for us. Help us to do that in Christ's name. Amen.